Cast iron cookware has always had myths and misconceptions attached to it. It's supposed to be indestructible, but allergic to water. Some people swear that the pots and pans are perfectly nonstick, but others find food getting stuck to the bottom of the pan every time. So, for today's Please Explain, we're looking into some of these cast iron myths and learning the best way to care for and cook with your cast iron with Julia Colin Davison, executive food editor at America's Test Kitchen and co-author of a forthcoming book called Cook It in Cast Iron, and J. Kenzie Lopez-Alt, managing culinary director of Serious Eats and author of The Food Lab, Better Home Cooking Through Science. I'm very pleased to welcome both of you to our show. And, well, thank uh, you for having us. And to our listeners, if you have any questions about cast iron cookware, we invite you to call us at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at wnyc.org slash Lopate or uh, on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Um, I throw this out to both of you. Uh, let's, I guess, uh, let's start with you, Julia. Um, what, do you remember the first, uh, your first cast iron pan? I do because I bought it not so long ago because <laughs> the ones that I grew up with, my mother and father are still using. Um, they're stored lovingly in the oven. They have a stack of them. Uh, my father loves spending time seasoning them. And so recently I realized uh, I'm done with nonstick. I really I felt that way for a while. And it was silly that I didn't uh, have one of my own. They're not expensive. Um, I, just, I just hadn't had one in my repertoire until very recently. Kenji? But I've been... Okay, go ahead. Finish your thought. Oh, um, no, I, I, it's now replaced a whole bunch of pans in my arsenal, and I've really been able to pare it down so that it, it plays the roles of a couple pans that I used to require. Kenji, what about you? Uh, did you have well, any early first... frustrations when you used cast iron for the first time? <laughs> you know, the, the first times I used cast iron was actually in restaurants, um, and we had a couple of really large, um, really well-seasoned cast iron pans, so I actually didn't have any frustrations because they were perfectly seasoned and completely nonstick. Um, when I started buying my own cast iron pans, um, it was a little bit difficult to start, um, but it was, you know, mainly because I bought into a lot of these old myths that aren't actually that true, and, and I, made it, <laughs> I made it much harder on myself than it needed to be. Um, but, you know, the, the very first cast iron pan I bought for myself, I got at a flea market, um, I think for around like 15 bucks, um, and it's still one of my favorite pans. It's you know I moved I moved from New York to California a couple of years ago, and you know we were, we knew we were going to have a lot of boxes in storage for a long time, um, so I had one sort of one sort of box that I, that had all the equipment that I knew I was going to need for the first few months that we were living there, um, and I only packed two pans in that box, and one of them was a was a sort of Dutch oven style stock pot, and the other one was my cast iron pan, that very first cast iron pan I got, and I use it you know you can cook almost any meal. Um, you want in it, um, with, with very, very few exceptions. Joe, you write that the manufacturing process for cast iron originated in China. When? Yeah. Um, you know, it's an old process, um, and, um, it, and, you know, uh, back then they were more handmade. Um, and now, of course, the modern processes... Um, it's much more uh, universal. They have sort of molds. Uh, but, yeah, this pan has been around for hundreds of years. And um, do you say that they're made with molds now? What were, how were they made earlier? 
Um, I believe they were um, hand-hammered uh, by hand. I mean, I think there were some sort of molds, not the molds that we have now, but it took a lot longer, and there was a lot more craftsmanship in making a pan by hand, and a lot more chance of burning your arm off, I believe, because the molten metal needed to make these pans is, is you know, incredibly hot. It's like lava. <laughs> and when did uh, people start making them outside of China? Um, you know, they started making them here in the U.S. Right around the early 1900s, they became very popular because they're so dang durable, and they're great for cooking over an open fire. So um, a lot of settlers had them. And, of course, as, as we mentioned earlier, you can cook almost anything in it. You can make a pie. You can make bread. You could fry chicken. Um, and so they were, they were really popular in the early 1900s. Um, I think, you know, as Teflon and, and nonstick surfaces became more popular in the 70s and 80s, um, the the um, cast iron pan became not as popular for the home American cook. Uh, but recently, as we learn more about those nonstick surfaces and you know the environmental uh, sort of problems and the chemicals that could harm you know the nutrition of our food, they're really a, sort of a renaissance of, of these cast iron pans. And so a lot more companies now are making them. Um, where I think in the 80s and 90s, you know, it all came down to one company that was making them through those times, and of course that was Lodge. Lodge was, uh, well, there's also Griswold and Wagner, aren't there? Yeah, but those are not, you know, those are hard to find if you're outside of certain areas. It's really Lodge that I think through the 80s and 90s sort of tackled the market and kept producing pans that were easy easy to find in stores. Now, Kenji, yeah, you as say... Far as I know Griswold and Wagner don't produce pans anymore, actually, either. That All the ones you're going to see are, are pretty much vintage ones that you're going to find either passed down or in flea markets. Um, but, well, you or, said, or, or Kenji, anything. you found your first one in a flea market. Do you like the vintage ones better than the I, new I ones? Do. They seem a little lighter, um, don't they? Well, they, they tend to be, you know, Griswolds and Wagners and a couple of the other brands um, that I, aren't producing pans anymore, they do make their pans a little bit lighter than Lodge does. Um, the, the real reason I like them, though, is because um, they've been uh, polished. Um, so, you know, Lodge pans, and I, and I believe all cast iron pans that were made in this country, they're, they're cast in um, these sand molds. Um, and that's what gives them that, that sort of pebbly texture, that really fine pebbly texture. Um, and, you know, older pans have, ha have had that texture um, machined off so that they're completely smooth inside. And that helps them get it. It makes them easier to season. It makes them a little bit more nonstick. Um, you can still get really great seasoning on a brand-new Lodge pan and get it pretty close to nonstick, but um, the, the smooth pans are just a little bit better, um, and that, that's the main reason I like them. I'm speaking with Jay Kenji Lopez-Alt, Managing Culinary Director of Sirius Eats, and Julia Collin-Davison, Executive Food Editor at America's Test Kitchen. They've both written about cast iron, and that's the topic on today's Please Explain. This is WNYC, WNYC.org. I'm Leonard Lopate. So how do you go about restoring an old cast iron pan if it um, has layers of old oil and grease on it? Yeah, that's actually, it's not so hard. Um, the first thing, if there's rust or dry patches, um, it means that you really got to start from scratch, and you really want to strip that pan of all of its seasoning. That seasoning, you know, is just that sort of nonstick coating of oils that helps make the pan a little nonstick. Uh, and we tried a whole bunch of ways of doing this, but found the best way to put it in the oven and turn on the self-clean cycle of your oven. Uh, of course, you have to look at the oven manufacturers to make sure that's okay, but uh, when we checked it out, most manufacturers said it was just fine. And then after that, the pan comes out, and it's completely stripped and ready for uh, a fresh seasoning. The new cast yeah. iron pans come with factory pre-seasons. Uh, do we know what they contain, Kenji? 
Uh, well, they, I mean, they come preseason the same way that you would the, the same way that you would uh, season a pan at home. Um, the, the seasoning generally is not that great, though. It's not a very thick layer, um, you know. So, so it's basically they're taking a, a food grade oil of some kind and baking it into a polymer, um, which is what happens when you season a pan. Um, I, I do even if you even if you buy a preseason pan, though, you still um, you still don't want to try, say, you know, making an omelet or frying eggs in it until you've given a um, you know a few good layers of your own seasoning at home. So can you talk about that polymerization process? Yeah, so um, th- there, there is this sort of misconception that the seasoning in a, pa- in a cast iron pan is just oil that's been baked inside it, um, and that sort of fills the pores of the cast iron. Um, it's actually not, the, the seasoning itself is not actually oil. It's oil that's been converted into a, a polymer through heat. Um, so, so it's essentially, essentially like a thin layer of uh, like a plastic-like substance. Um, and so, you know, and, and, and because of it, once you, once you realize this, um, you can also realize that the old myth that you can't use soap on a cast iron pan um, is actually not true either, because soap... Um, uh, is going to remove oil from the pan, but um, that polymer is actually not affected by the soap. So it, it'll remove the layer of oil from the top of your pan, but it's not going to remove the seasoning. Um, so you don't have to re-season after you have scrubbed something with soap? Well, you, you will want to re-season your pan every time you use it. Um, rub it with just a little thin layer of oil because there's um, you know, water from the atmosphere um, that can condense on it and cause it to rust, and that, that layer of oil is going to give it a little bit extra protection. You know, and, and plus, every time you use it and every time you re-season it, you're making that surface uh, slicker and slicker, and you're building it up thicker and thicker so that it will become you know, more sturdy and more nonstick as you use it. We're you know, go ahead. One tr- oh yeah, one fast way we found um, to re-season your skillet after every use is after you wash it, whether you use a little soap or not. And I agree with Kenji. A little soap is what I do because uh, it makes me feel better about cleaning things up. Um, I put it back on the stovetop and I I dry it over medium to low heat for about five minutes, um, and then I wipe it. You know, and that dries any excess moisture. And then I just take a little bit of flaxseed oil and I rub it into the pan uh, while it's warm, and that just helps keep it glossy, keeps it dry, prevents rust, and, you know, continues the seasoning process throughout time. I used to be told that uh, the best way to clean them is to use salt, just rub salt into it, but uh, Mm -hmm. we're not doing that anymore? Oh, I think that's a great technique if you have a lot of stuff on gunk in your pan. Um, sometimes, especially when you do bacon or sausages and your pan's a little uh, dry in places, you can really get those proteins to stick to the pan and they're hard to scrub off. Um, salt works wonders here. Uh, salt and a combination of oil. So after you scrub out the pan and if you have something really sticky, this is when you can use a little bit of steel wool. Now, normally steel wool is verboten when you're talking cast iron, but sometimes those proteins are really stuck. So you scrape it off with the steel wool, brush out uh, any of the crumbs, and then put it back on the heat with a good amount of oil, like about a quarter of an inch, and then you add a bunch of kosher salt, and the oil will help loosen the rest of the gunk and use this salt and a long pair of tongs and a good wad of paper towel, and you really use the salt as an abrasive. But then sometimes it looks like it's getting flaky, and people are afraid of what that stuff is. The the flaky bits coming off? Oh, that sounds like gunk that should have been removed for sure. It's not any metal. Iron, it, it, was, it probably wasn't seasoned right to begin with. Let's, yeah. take, let's take some calls. Our number here is 212-433-9692. Maggie from Harlem, you're on the air. Hello there. Thank you all for this really enlightening conversation. I just wanted to call in because I actually two days ago bought my very first cast iron skillet. 
and have called my mom about every day saying, now how do I do this and how do I do this? <laughs> um, but my question for the experts here today would be relating to my roommates. I live with three other people, so we have a very small and communal kitchen area. Um, and, of course, I want everyone to benefit from this purchase that I made, but I, I also want to make sure that they understand the simple, easy upkeep that would come with it. Um, and I definitely am hearing the pieces about receiving and all of those items, but do you have any suggestions for how to nicely, without coming across as like <laughs> the crazy kitchen lady, <laughs> encourage them to use it respectfully in a common space like that? <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, cast iron is is actually it's a lot tougher than I think people give it credit for, and and a lot of people think you have to baby it and you can't cook X, Y, and Z in it. Honestly, the only real thing that's going to that's going to seriously mess up your cast iron pan is if it sits out sitting wet, um, and it starts to get rusty, and then and then you're going to have to do a little bit of work to reseason it. But other than that, you know, there's not really that much you can do that's going to completely mess up your pan. Um, if if you want them to be really respectful, you would ask them that every time they use it um, to make sure that they that they follow Julia's advice. Um, you know, dry it out, put it on the stove, heat it up a little bit, and rub a little bit of oil into it. And that's going to make sure that it stays nice and protected in between each use. Um, but the only real thing that you want to make sure that they don't do is to either put it in the dishwasher or leave it in the sink just soaking in water um, for a long period of time. So you don't put um, it in the dishwasher? I, you know, there's not really any need. Um, it, it's got, you know, cast iron, once, once you've cooked in it enough times, and, and I always say that the best way to season a cast iron pan is don't, don't bother with these multiple cycles in the oven or doing all this stuff with the flaxseed and everything. If, 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 as long as you're cooking in it, that's the best way to season a cast iron pan because every time you fry something or saute something, you're adding seasoning to it. Um, but, you know, once, you're, once your pan is nicely seasoned, um, you shouldn't ever really need to put it in the dishwasher, just a, a rinse in the sink, maybe a little bit of soap and maybe a little bit of uh, steel wool or one of those chainmail scrubbers if there's something really stuck in there. Um, but, but there's not really any reason to put it in the dishwasher. And, and in fact, the dishwasher is one of, the, one of the few ways that you can sort of, you know, potentially mess it up if it stays in there and gets wet and stays wet for too long. But you said earlier people are worried that they are, they can be delicate. It seems to me that cast iron is the most versatile of all cooking uh, approaches because you can, let's say you're doing a chicken, you can uh, first put it on the top of the stove and then stick it in the oven without changing pans. Yeah, you can cook your chicken and your vegetables in there all at the same time. You know, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a reason why so many people have their, you know, their grandmother's cast iron or, or you go to a flea market and there's, and there's cast iron there's because the stuff lasts forever. They shouldn't um, be selling them at the flea market. They should be keeping them. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Peter from Tarrytown. Hi, you're on the air. I, uh, I had to get rid of my cast iron skillets. My wife was small. She couldn't hold them out straight without, you know, it would just bend in her arms. And I ended up getting <laughs> two thin walled cast iron skillets. Well, actually, one's a wok and one's a skillet. Are they yeah. different? Yeah, they are. You know, we did a testing of all cast iron skillets, and we did a little subset of the thinner cast iron skillets, which, as you mentioned, are super popular because they're lighter. Because no matter how durable cast iron is, it's actually, it's quite heavy. It's a good workout if you're hauling that thing around the kitchen um, a bunch. Uh, and, you know, what we found is that the lighter skillets, the, um, you lose the benefits of the cast iron. It doesn't hold, retain heat as well as the thicker ones, um, and uh, so you might as well just be using a stainless steel skillet. Uh, but then again, um, it's still you can still have that nonstick property with the seasoning. So in some respects, it's better than a nonstick skillet if you're worried about you know the T-fall or the um, I'm sorry the Teflon and all the chemicals that sort of come along with nonstick. But you're not going to get the same level of searing uh, that you would with a heavy one. Nora Efron once wrote out a recipe. It said something like. 
put your Teflon pan on the burner and wait until you see the carcinogenic fumes <laughs> rise up, <laughs> and that's when you put that's when you put the uh, the meat on. Uh, we're going to take a little break and come back to more of this. Please explain. Look at uh, cast iron uh, cookware with Julia Collin Davison, executive food editor at America's Test Kitchen, co-author of a, a book soon to be released called Cook It in Cast Iron, and J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, managing culinary director of Serious Eats and author of The Food Lab, Better Home Cooking Through Science. And uh, we are inviting your calls at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at org or on Facebook or Twitter where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. And we are back with J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, Managing Culinary Director of Serious Eats, author of The Food Lab, Better Home Cooking Through Science, and with Julia Collin Davison, Executive Food Editor at America's Test Kitchen, co-author of the forthcoming book, Cook It in Cast Iron, Kitchen-Tested Recipes for the One Pan That Does It All. Uh, and we are taking your calls at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org, Facebook, or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. Julia, some people claim that cooking in cast iron will actually give you extra iron in your <laughs> diet. Did, did you test that recipe, did that theory? We did, actually, believe it or not. Well, we totally uh, made um, some sauce. I think it was a... Um, tomato sauce, and we measured how much iron was in it before and after uh, and found that uh, there was no real difference. Now, the, we are using seasoned cast iron pans, not stripped cast iron pans, so that might be um, some of the reason why we didn't have any iron, but at the same time, it just doesn't seem very likely. So I don't think that's, I don't think that's possible. How, how, do you know how long you guys let that sauce cook in the pan? We, I'm not sure, you know, and in general, because of acidic tomato sauces, uh, we have a rule. I think we simmered it for about an hour, which, of course, stripped mm-hmm. the pan. For um, right. acidic things, you really shouldn't let them simmer in a cast iron pan or be in a cast iron pan for longer than 30 minutes because then you will start to strip the pan and you'll start to taste a little bit. Of, you'll, it'll taste metallic. Now, Kenji, yeah. we, oh, go ahead. Oh no! I was going to say I'm I'm surprised that there was no detectable iron because I, I feel like you can you can usually taste the difference in with metal with sauces that have been cooked in cast iron like Julia said I'm surprised that that that, that doesn't translate to more iron I want, so I, I would actually wonder what is causing that flavor difference but I guess that's that's another question for another time when we were talking about seasoning you mentioned oil does it matter what kind of oil or fat that you use to to coat it. Well, it does. You know, there, 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 there's been um, some research done on this. Uh, you know, there's a famous article online, I think, by Cheryl Cantor, who, um, who talks about using flaxseed oil um, and other good drying oils in your cast iron pan. Um, you know, I, I, in my experience, I've found that actually, um, you know, cast, uh, flaxseed oil um, will make, uh, will season your pan very quickly, but it actually creates a slightly less durable um, seasoning um, that, that tends to flake off more. Um, you know, honestly, for me, like I, like I mentioned before, I think really the best way to season your pan is just to fry things in it. Um, and you use, you know, whatever oil you have at your house, whether you're frying with canola oil or vegetable oil or olive oil, all of those are going to season your pan. Um, so, 
you know, you don't really have to take too many extra steps. And, and this is, again, part of the sort of whole idea of making cast iron easier and demystifying it. Um, you don't really need to take any, any steps other than just to make sure that, you know, the first few times you're cooking in it, you're sauteing things in oil. You're maybe searing steaks or you're, or you're sauteing vegetables. Um, any, anytime you're heating oil in the pan, you're going to be adding to that seasoning. Julia, you write that heating an oil to its smoke point will help it adhere to the pan, but then there are drawbacks to overheating the pan. Yeah, you can. How do you, you know? know? Uh, <laughs> how do you know? Um, it's pretty hard to get this pan that hot on a stovetop without really smoking up your house. Um, as Kenji mentioned earlier, you're basically turning the oils into polymers. Um, that your um, the oil molecules are breaking down and then bonding together and attaching to the surface of the pan, and that happens ideally at 500 degrees, uh, which is above the smoke point, but below, well below uh, the point where it would be too hot. Um, and I, you know, Ken just said he doesn't like doing it in the oven. I think if you're, I like doing it in the oven, especially when your pan is really far gone, uh, because it's hands off and you have the oven temperature right at 500. Um, and so, uh, yeah, the oven just takes all the guesswork out of it for me. Can you scrape it with a spatula before you reseason it? Yeah, you know, you want to get any gunk out of there, especially if it's pretty far gone, there's rust spots, um, things that have been stuck on there for a while because you haven't used it in a while. Uh, you want to get it pretty cleaned up and if, if not even strip it uh, before you reseason it. But if you're just doing a light reseason and like Kenji says, you're using it all the time, as long as it's dark and semi-glossy and has a sort of a black look to it, you don't really have to worry about seasoning all the time. It will season itself naturally as you cook. And then again, after you, after you cook and you give it a wash and you dry it well, just swipe a little oil in it uh, while it's warm and, and and just save it for next time. Let's take another call. Vera from the Bronx. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Go ahead. Yes, I'm in my 70s now, and I grew up in the age of the um, cast iron. My grandmother had everything cast iron. The iron, she ironed the clothes, the coal pot, the food, and the pots, very large ones with little legs. And? And you have I a question? You, we, yeah, we washed it with the coconut fiber huh. and then dried it. And my grandmother used to get a white kind of fat from the butcher, and then she would grease them, grease them. But when I look at cast iron yes. these days, they're kind of rough. The ones we had, they were pretty smooth. So do, what do, do you recommend lard, either of you? Sorry, go ahead, Julia. After you guess on. <laughs> okay, Julia. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, you know, we found it. Be you know, it's best to use unsaturated fats, such as the canola oil, sunflower oil, corn oil, or the flaxseed oil, um, rather than saturated fats for if you're specifically seasoning the pan. Let's take another call. Uh, we go now to Michael from Brooklyn. Hi, you're on the air. Michael, are you there? Okay. People don't realize that we're on a slight delay, and they should just be listening on their phone if you're hanging on. Al from Wayne, New Jersey, are you there? Hi, Leonard. Yes, Al. So there's an old technique to clean an engine block. You would add baking soda to a cast iron engine block. And you'd add that to the cooling system, and it cleans it out. Huh. Baking soda or crushed walnut shells. 
How about that to clean an old cast iron pan, <laughs> baking soda, or crushed walnut shells? I, I've never tried crushed walnut <laughs> shells, but I, you know, I do know that you know baking baking soda is is an alkaline, um, um, and similar, you know, similarly, oven cleaners um, are very strongly alkaline chemicals, and oven cleaner is actually a, you know a pretty good way to clean your cast iron pan. Um, if you want to, you you want to soak it in those foaming oven cleaners and then put it in a heavy-duty garbage bag for about uh, 24 hours, and then all the all the seasonings should just wipe wipe right out. Um, you know, seeing as that works, I, I, I could see how baking soda might um, might work as sort of a weaker form. Um, I've, ne- I've never I've never actually tried the walnut, grease from the walnut shells. shells. <laughs> yeah. Now, Kenji, you recommend cooking steak in a cast iron pan. Why do I you do, think yeah. that's the best method? Uh, well, ma- pro- mainly it's just because the cast iron pan is probably going to be the heaviest pan you have uh, in your arsenal. Um, you know, and it's a, it's a basic law of thermodynamics that the amount of energy you can store in a given material, um, uh, in a given piece of material, is um, proportional, to its, proportional to its weight. Bone um, in so or bone out? What's that? Bone in or bone out? Oh, you know, it, it honestly, well, it depends on the cut. Um, I generally um, don't recommend cooking something like a, like a T-bone or a porterhouse in um, a skillet, um, unless you're going to be basting it, only because that bone can, the meat can shrink up from the bone a little bit, and, and it'll, that bone will prevent it from coming in full contact with the pan. But, um, but typically, like if you're cooking something like a ribeye, um, the, bone, the bone is totally fine to have in there. Um, it, it, it really doesn't actually matter that much whether you keep the bone in or bone out. The only difference it really makes is that, uh, you know, if you cook it bone in, you have that bone to chew on at the end, which can be pretty nice. Mm. Um, but, but, you know, <laughs> cast iron is great because when you're, when you're searing a steak, um, you, want it, you want to heat it basically that surface as quickly as possible because you want to get that surface nice and brown before the meat underneath has a chance to start overcooking and turning, you know, turning well done or turning gray. Um, and so the more energy, the faster you can get energy into that steak, uh, the better it is, which means that the more energy you have stored in your pan, um, the faster the steak is going to sear. So you want a nice heavy pan, and cast iron um, does exactly that. Now, there's been a debate in Cook's Magazine over whether you, can, you should flip it every so often or whether you should uh, wait till <laughs> one side is totally seared and then turn it to the other side. The same yep. with hamburgers. What do you mm-hmm. think? Well, I have we- an opinion here for sure. Oh, go for it, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we did a lot of steak testing in, in cast iron for this cookbook. And the interesting thing was we overseared the steak time and time again because that pan just gets so darn hot. And the crust was too thick and too hard. And so, and you know, that would never happen in any other skillet. Uh, the other thing is we found when we flipped it more often, the crust was more even, and the, the doneness of the meat on the inside was also more even. Because, of course, as you cook this, the, as you cook the steak on the stovetop, and we had to use a lower heat than high heat, or else we burned the outside of the steak. Uh, but the pan does start to cool down as the steaks absorb that heat. And so uh, flipping the steak constantly means that you have sort of an even amount of heat hitting each side of the steak throughout the cooking cycle. Julia, on the cover of your book, uh, Cook It in Cast Iron, is a beautiful picture of roast chicken. And yeah, we have the my- recipe for cast iron roast chicken on our show page. We've supplied it. But can you describe how you do it? Do you do it only in the oven or only on the stovetop? 
It's all oven. This is one of my all-time favorite recipes. Um, you heat the cast, you heat the skillet up in the oven, and you get the skillet good and hot. And then you basically slap the raw chicken in the skillet and put it back in the oven for a bit. Um, and the hot heat of the oven helps to cook the dark meat on the underside of the chicken. And the dark meat, of course, needs a longer cooking time uh, than the white meat. Uh, and then partway through, you turn the oven off and you let the uh, chicken finish cooking very slowly, mm-hmm. so that it stays nice and juicy and tender. And then, Kenji, you have a recipe you call the best potato hash. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Do you, you uh, also well, say I, you I, should I, use certain kinds of potatoes. Uh, yeah, you know, I like, use, I like using starchier potatoes because you're going to get a, a, a thicker, crisper crust on them, which is what I like in my hash. Um, but, you know, if, if you like the creamier texture of, like, a Yukon Gold or, a, um, or even, like, a, uh, you know, a red potato, that, that's fine, too. I, I tend to use russets. Um, and, uh, yeah, so the way I make it is um, it's similar to how I would make my roast potatoes or even my French fries. I start by um, boiling the potatoes, um, parboiling them. I boil them in water with just a little bit of vinegar. Um, and the idea there is that the vinegar actually um, prevents uh, the, the pectin in the potatoes from breaking down as quickly, which means that you can boil them to completion without the risk of them falling apart on you, which, you know, which can happen. Uh, potatoes go from perfectly cooked to falling apart very quickly in regular water. Uh, vinegar is going to help prevent that happen. Mm. Um, so I boil them in vinegar until they're softened uh, and then uh, let them dry, um, let, let them sit out on a, on a tray or in a colander um, and let all that excess moisture steam away. Um, and then you just fry them in cast iron, and you want to, um, you know, cast iron is going to give them uh, a nice slow, uh, a nice slow heat. It, it takes it takes a little while to do, um, but you you know you put them in the cast iron pan with a little bit of butter or a little bit of oil, um, and flip them every so often, and you get you get end up with really really super crispy potatoes. Um, and the great thing about doing them in cast iron is that. Um, when you're serving them, you can then make a couple of little wells in there, uh, break eggs directly into it, and then throw it into the oven, and you get your eggs and your potatoes all in one skillet. And, Ooh, you know, it's really easy, very easy cleanup, um, and it looks great when you serve it that uh, way. Too. Julia, you include many baked desserts in this <laughs> book on, on cast iron. Yeah. I never, uh, how, how does cast iron match up against uh, a sheet pan? Uh, it's different, as, as you know. We've been talking about the um, cast iron retains heat very well. So if you're making a hearty, crusty loaf of bread, that heat retention will help that crust be nice and thick and hard and um, chewy. Uh, but also, uh, the heat retention also makes the bottoms of pies brown really well. Um, and pizza, if you want to make a skillet pizza, it's a fast way to get good browning on the bottom of a pizza without having to heat a pizza stone up for half an hour or an hour. Um, and also, the skillet has pretty tall sides. So if you compare it to just say a regular uh, stainless steel skillet, the t- you know the, the sides of cast iron are a bit taller. So if you're making a pie, you're making a deep dish pie. There's a lot of filling in there. And that's, that's kind of nice uh, heritage style pie. Lots of filling. Old school. Um, and it, you know, also serving it out of cast iron just looks cool. And Kenji, you have a thin crust pizza that you make in cast iron. I have, I have a couple different pizza recipes I make in, in cast iron. Actually, the, the most popular recipe I've ever written was for a simple uh, deep dish cast iron pizza that's cooked in a cast iron. Um, and the, the way you do it is you basically get your pizza dough, um, and you can even use store-bought dough for this if you want. Um, but you take the pizza dough, um, you put a good amount of olive oil in a cast iron pan, and put your dough right in the middle, cover it with plastic, and then just let it sit there. Um, and it, as the pizza dough rises, it sort of stretches out and fills up that cast iron pan by itself. So you have to do very, very little stretching or rolling. Um, so it's re- it makes it really easy, and then you just top it and bake it. Um, and, and as Julia said, the cast iron gives it a really nice 
nice crust. And what I really actually like about baking um, pizza or, or, or anything that is sort of going to, like any kind of dough that's going to fry and get crispy on the bottom in cast iron, um, what I like about doing cast iron is that if you pull it out of the oven and you peek up underneath it and you find that the bottom, is, you know, the top is done, but maybe the bottom is not quite as crisp as you like it, you can actually just throw it directly on the stovetop, um, moderate heat, um, and finish cooking, finish cooking the bottom of the pizza or the bottom of the bread um, directly on the stovetop. So it's, it's, a great, it's a great vessel for making pizza. It's great for making uh, focaccia um, and, and, and any kind of sort of bread that gets that kind of crispy fried crust on the bottom. We have about a half minute to go. Uh, why are eggs sometimes a problem in cast iron? Yeah, eggs are the number one problem for an, an unseasoned or poorly seasoned pan. Um, and, you know, it was our first test when we got all, to develop this book. We obviously bought about 20 new cast iron skillets. Um, and the first thing we did is we all cooked eggs in them, and that is the best way to tell how well-seasoned your pan is. Because if you don't have a well-seasoned pan, that egg is going to stick, and you're, you're going to break the yolk if you're trying to, fry, trying and, to fry an egg. And we thank you both so much for being on our show. Julia Collin Davison, executive food editor at America's Test Kitchen, co-author of Cook It in Cast Iron, J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, managing culinary director at Sirius Eats and author of The Food Lab, Better Home Cooking Through Science. It's been a pleasure having you both on today's Please Explain. Thank you. Thank you for having me.